Welcome to today's podcast brought to you by Chris Heidel and Neil Modi, where we talk about our reflections on the marketplace and travel and all of the other things that we're interested in. But by day, Chris Heidel is a registered investment advisor and I, Neil Modi, am a venture capitalist focused on med devices. Two things I think that are, are interesting right now. The dollar is weakening which it's been, of course, remarkably strong. Um, and so strategically, it's leading to some outperformance more recently in um, EU large cap stocks. So, you know, so European stocks and some of the emerging markets, submerging markets. Anyway, those, um, those investments are performing well as the dollar gets weaker. I think that'll continue. Um, Why is that? What are they? Largely the Fed's policy. Why is the dollar getting weaker? Two things. Well, there are a couple of things. One is the Fed announced another quantitative easing, although they dare not call it that. So uh, September 28th, the overnight repo rate, uh, lending rate between banks, um, spiked to 10%. I think we touched on it a little bit before. But uh, when that spike happened, the um, Fed came to the conclusion that they should inject money into the overnight repo, the, the rate at which banks lend to each other on a repurchase agreement. Basically, they pledged treasury securities in exchange for a loan. Um, the last time that interest rate spiked like it has was back in 2008. So something systemically important is happening. And the Fed responded with a dramatic infusion of capital. They announced that they would put in $45 billion a day with uh, room for another $35 billion in repo if needed. So this is extraordinary. Um, they've tried to say it's not important or they've discounted it, et cetera. Um, but realistically, this is, you know, $75 billion <laughs> or more a, a, a day in funds that are infused into the financial system. There is something systemically important going on, but they don't tell us. The last time, again, this happened was when Lehman was teetering on the edge and none of the other member banks in the fraternity would lend to Lehman Brothers. Um, and then that became more widespread as banks couldn't trust each other, who had Lehman paper, whose collateral was impaired. So the basically the interbank lending greasing the wheels of finance behind the scenes froze up uh, and it looks like it's seizing up again so in response the fed's coming to the rescue with a lot of liquidity all of that new credit creation of course weakens the dollar it uh, tends to lower interest rates here and further just the fed's announcements that they're cutting interest rates or that they will no longer raise them um, has stopped the ascent of the dollar because money uh, is attracted to the dollar because of our higher interest rates. And when that's no longer on offer or when that uh, trend begins to change, it removes that uh, dollar demand, or at least a bit, it starts to abate. So that's why the dollar is flattening and starting to weaken. So, so take me through why that's good for some of the European stocks you were talking about and what European stocks you were talking about. Yeah, so there are a few. I mean, first, um, Europe has been um, 
much slower growing than the U.S. Even though our growth has been somewhat anemic, it's much slower, of course, and always has been structurally in the Eurozone. Um, more recently, uh, that has translated into, uh, along with the strong dollar, demand for U.S. equities. So U.S. equities, in a general sense, have trended higher and are trading at a much higher valuation across many different valuation metrics than their European counterparts. So Europe already has a, a, an advantage from an investment standpoint of being cheaper uh, in terms of valuations. And then when we add another layer on top of that, that there's a weakening dollar and a strengthening euro, um, it's kind of a reversal of what we've seen the last few years with a strengthening dollar and a weakening euro. So um, that, again, makes the earnings of the European companies more attractive to dollar investors. So are there um, specific sectors you're focused on within that? Uh, and uh, right now, I'm just looking at it from a general sense, because this is the first time in some six years we've seen that outperformance begin. Um, and so, you know, there are the old uh, stalwarts like a Vodafone and some of those types of companies with millions of subscribers that um, look very safe. But I'm also looking to see what deeper values we can uncover. So I, I'm sorry, it's premature for me to say anything more on that because I don't want to <laughs> announce something that I'm not really ready, uh, that's not investment ready or hasn't been fully fleshed out. But I think that's a, a, a very attractive area for further investigation. Um, so do you think we're going to see a continued um, trend of the dollar weakening and how long until that starts to affect, you know, what I do? Yeah. Well, the, taking that two-part question one at a time, if I can, the first, I, I think the dollar weakening, um, it seems like it is more durable. We've had a long run. Um, and again, interest rates are no longer rising here. And further, we're seeing that the Eurozone um, has come under a lot of fire, the European Central Bank and Mario Draghi for attempting another quantitative easing. There's a lot of backlash. So they're backing away from further attempts at pushing interest rates down. Um, and here we are in the US trying to push interest rates down. So there's been a little role reversal. Again, I think that's a longer term trend or immediate term trend that's worth watching. So yes, I anticipate the dollar to continue to weaken. Um, how that will affect your business, the uh, sort of uh, venture. Sorry, the venture capital business. But no, yeah. no, b back up a second. How mm -hmm. long, you, when, when you say it'll continue, and I mean, I've asked you lots of these questions, and mm -hmm. clearly your ability to predict the market is, hasn't been the reason you're a good investor. <laughs> Thank you, because your predictions um, are better than mine, probably. Wait, say that again? My I said your your predictions are as good as or better than mine. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, yeah. we, we, you know what? In 2020, we're, we we should we should take some category bets once a month and see who's more right, and one for the year, just for fun. Okay. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. I still think you're going to make That'd very good money, so it just might be interesting. <laughs> um, uh huh. The uh, no, no. I'm curious about like 
how long, when you say, hey, I think it'll continue to weaken, what is it you're thinking in your mind? What, what's that frame of thought? You know, because, you know, I hear you say something like that and I'm wondering, is that a year or two? Or, you know, is that six months? Um, when I hear it, I think, you know, that's going to last over a year and maybe we're mm -hmm. finally due for our correction, which, you know, has been maybe one of the dumbest questions I've ever asked you is when, when will the correction happen? Mm. Um, cause clearly you can't also answer me. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really know how to frame what you're saying to me. So that way the next question is even more relevant. You know, how does that affect venture capital or when will it affect venture capital? Yeah, it's always, of course, very difficult. We're dealing with very complex systems. Um, I don't know. It's dependent on many factors. But I would suggest that first, a lot of it has to do with the response of the central banks. Um, they really do control the value in a certain sense of the currency most directly. Um, interest rates are the big lever and really the, the a kind of primitive but very powerful bludgeon <laughs> that they can manipulate to in turn uh, drive demand for a currency or um, the selling of a currency. So the interest rate policy that the Fed sets uh, is critically important. They seem determined to push rates down again and at the even slightest sign of economic weakness, have already sort of caved in. You know, they jokingly called um, Jerome Powell's reversal on interest rate hikes in January, the Powell cave, that he caved in um, to President Trump's tweets uh, and berating him for raising rates in the face of a weakening economy. And indeed, he did make an about face. Um, only later, beginning in April and May, did he announce that he was going to consider cutting rates. Um, and then here in November, we've seen them injecting huge amounts of capital into the um, financial markets uh, via overnight repo. So every sign suggests that the Fed is going to continue to try to push or massage or even force rates lower, which would create, again, more dollar weakness rather than strength. That seems like a prolonged process and that there isn't any eminent reversal where the Fed might hike rates or change their policy. Um, and the economic situation seems to be weakening here in the U.S. and overseas uh, as well. So I don't know if I had to put a time on it, I would say it's certainly a policy that would run for a year or so, possibly longer. Um, yeah, and and I'm not and I'm not trying to, to to force you into a boundary. I'm just wondering about how you think about it, right? So yeah, you cool. are obviously you're monitoring it daily, so you can see what's going on, yeah, um, or near daily. And then there's um, the there's still the question of what really happened on September 28th. You know, we're not in the cognoscenti, we're not insiders, but something indeed happened that caused the repo rates to spike. Uh, in such a dramatic fashion. Again, they haven't spiked that way since 2008. Um, and we know there was a lot cooking then. If it's a small bank, um, you know, I don't know, what's a small bank, Omqua Bank near you, right? Yeah. Um, something like that. The You know, the Fed and the FDIC would just do their normal thing. And that normal thing is to show up at the bank that's troubled on Friday, announce that the bank was closing, arrange a marriage with a larger institution like Wells Fargo or, or JP Morgan or something else and 
the bank would open on Monday under new uh, management, right? That's a non-systemically important financial institution that the Fed and the FDIC would just work to shore up. Um, when you have a systemically important financial institution like J.P. Morgan Chase or Wells Fargo or in the old days, of course, Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, uh, et cetera, when they have trouble, the Fed responds as they recently have in November with huge injections of capital. Um, it's not something they can just roll up into another um, shotgun marriage. Uh, they can't close something like a Deutsche Bank on a Friday. <laughs> and it might even be, again, like Deutsche Bank, something international over which the Fed has no oversight. Uh, and they're just trying to uh, continue or to allow or make for the smooth functioning of the overnight repo markets and thus keep the wheels of commerce going rather than have the banks all seize up together and refuse to lend to each other. So there's something systemically important happening, I guess is what I'm saying. And we don't know what that is, but that could have an economic effect that reverberates again. I don't think it'll be like Lehman Brothers. They've kind of learned their lesson, but who knows? We don't know yet. Do, so do, do you think, um, what, how long do you think until I feel the echo effects in, in venture? And one of the things I wonder about is in venture capital, there's been you know this proliferation of seed funds where I kind of, you know, I, I was getting... A call from a new fund manager once every few weeks for a little while, <laughs> right? Or an email from a new fund manager. Can you give me a little advice? And it it kind of felt to me like a gold rush versus people really trying to build something real. When first do you think it once, starts hello. to truly affect overall? Can you hear me? Oh, there we are. Yeah, yeah I hear you now. Yeah. 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 When, when does it overall start to affect venture capital? And then when when will I finally see the shakeout of these small funds? The, wow. these, these, um, these, these funds that are not very well thought out. And I mean, yeah. maybe it's a one question is, is a hard, I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to put you on the, <laughs> I definitely don't mind putting you on the fire, Chris, and, and, and yeah. making you yeah. ask, I, I, and uh, ask hard questions, but more <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to wonder about how you think about these things. Well, it's uh this is a real question because the, the cycles, business cycles always revolve around credit. And all of the financial crises we've endured um, are always credit related. So, and this is of course why the Fed and the central banks control that big lever of interest rates, the cost of money. The most important price, by the way, in all of <laughs> business, um, the very low interest rates we've seen have allowed for these poorly thought out business models to exist. They've allowed even a SoftBank Vision Fund to exist, where he's you know T-shirt cannoning the money of investors into all of these very speculative, <laughs> very speculative money losing ventures. That's the best way I've ever heard it described. <laughs> it feels like that. You look at some of these things and think, "What is um, you know, what is Maya Son thinking?" I don't know, but. Um, so speculative, but it's not just limited to the VC world. If we look at the Russell 2000 index, which is an index of small cap companies, fully one third of the companies that make up that index are so-called zombie companies. They do not make enough in net income to make to meet their debt service. 
They don't have enough cash flow to pay for their debt. So they're forced to feed on investors' brains <laughs> by coming back to market with new stock offerings or raising new uh, debt. Uh, it's, it's this ongoing situation that's only enabled and furthered by very cheap money. Um, I think that's true because, uh, you know, it's like uh, Jim Grant has called it playing tennis without a net, right? You don't have any hurdle rate. If the, bar if the cost of borrowing is negligible, then you just kind of keep going without any focus on profitability or even monetization. Um, and, and you even read it in some of the, the VC um, uh, offerings. The, the IPO for Compass, uh, so-called real estate disruptor, is one where the CEO has said, we don't have a path to monetization. We haven't thought that through yet. Oh, but you've thought through having an IPO, haven't you? Ha! You're ready to take public money and, and uh, get rich, but you haven't even thought about how you're going to pay back those investors with real earnings from your business. Well, I'd argue that all of those things are premature, right? I think Uber and Lyft and the whole slate of recent IPOs are kind of indicative of that. To put a money losing, especially massively money losing company out in the public sphere prematurely is a way that uh, many of the early VCs have been trying to cash in. I don't know if they see the writing on the wall or see that there's a closing window of opportunity, but I do sense a, a, a change that's already kind of coming into consciousness. And especially with the WeWork failure, a, a change in the way investors' perceptions of IPOs are. Um, well, you see that there's this conversation about direct listings going on, right? There's oh, very strong. Saying, yeah, a lot of yeah, yeah. Saying yeah. let's let's skip the normal roadshow uh, for for those who don't understand it. Those, let's skip the normal roadshow and let's just go public because, you know, we have enough users or enough people who recognize us that we can raise money without. Um, having the high cost of bankers raising money for us. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think the IPO model and the, the direct listing idea is kind of more a critique of the, the way IPOs are conducted by the big banks. It's still very much antiquated <laughs> compared to the you know technological advantages we now have. Even the idea of a roadshow, you don't have to leave your office. You can do it all by Skype, Zoom, or you know, uh, uh, shared uh, Venmo. You can do it in so many ways where you don't have to pack up bags and, and do this traditional roadshow. And the allocation of shares is also a bit antiquated. So I think the direct listing idea is definitely a leapfrog uh, miles ahead of what is the current structure of IPOs and the way that they're offered, the way that that business is conducted. Wait, so but, go back to my original question. Like, yeah. um, even if you were to give me a range of a couple of years, mm -hmm. when when do you think we'll see the the shakeout of all of these small? Um, I wouldn't say small funds even, because um, I'm sure it'll be big funds. But when when do you think we'll see a shakeout? When do you think we'll see, you know, half the funds that we're seeing just completely drop off the face of the earth again? I don't. Uh, I guess I'd say, in a general sense, it's when credit becomes tight. Um, we normally think. Thank you. <laughs> you want I'm giving you the states. most liberal question I've ever given you. 
No, it's okay if you say in the next 36 months. It's okay if you say in the next five years. Uh, I, I'm trying to get an idea of how you really frame this in your mind. Um, I, I think in, about the derivatives, the things that uh, f- the quintessential elements from which the cost of credit is derived. So if we look first at just interest rates, which are one, you know, the price of of money you don't have, the cost of capital, um, interest rates are the most common price tag. But as we've seen in the, there are, of course, millions of interest rates, different ones. The repo rate that that spiked uh, in late September is one. The um, interest rate you pay on your credit cards, another. So, um, but in general, I think the repo rates, overnight rates, federal funds rates are in essence, uh, and especially in the bond market, the treasury rates are the best indicators of uh, tighter or looser credit. But um, sometimes you look at a country like Japan where interest rates are low and there's just no trading. Um, So is credit tight or loose? I don't know. The interest rates seem low, but no one's buying those bonds except the central bank. Um, It's not a lot of lending going on. So that's a tighter credit situation. So I would I would argue, though, that interest rates are probably the most important bellwether. And then undergirding those are the um, expectations for inflation. So looking at the, the things that feed into that energy prices, food prices, you, your uncle, who uh, was the first, uh, um, was the mayor of New Orleans, uh, was it Dutch? Was that yeah, the Dutch Morial. He was the first African American mayor of New Orleans. Yeah. So, so you sound like I think from him, right? Like I feel like you're giving me a political answer <laughs> <laughs> because I have politics in the family. Yeah. yeah uh, so I'm thinking like maybe maybe you're a little closer to him than you think. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I'll. I'll uh, do, do, I mean, do you think that we'll really actually see that? And we'll, we'll, we'll just call the easier question, under five years. Under yeah. or over? How's that? Yeah, I won't try under, to... under five years, I think so. I think the, the tremendous um, infusion of credit into the financial system over these last 10 years especially um, is most likely to result in some form of stagflation where we have higher interest rates and slow economic growth. Um, That's most likely. It's not, of course, guaranteed. And again, we're talking about a complex system. Um, So I I think, though, uh, the most likely outcome is that the, the credit that's been pumped into the financial system would bleed over into the consumer sector and we'd see some inflation, higher interest rates, tighter credit. And that could certainly make it much more difficult for those raising capital, especially on startups and in the VC world. There's no question. You would feel it first. Um, And I also think that corporate credit uh, is part of that. You've got this uh, just massive growth in corporate credit, which a lot of people like Kirill Sokoloff at 13D Research and um, even Goodlack, who's supposedly the new king of bonds, um, that might be a self-anointed (laughs) <laughs> title he might have grabbed that crown himself but anyway the they're all thinking that the the locus point of the next risk off um the next crisis point would be corporate debt which is just soared and as i mentioned even with small companies like in the russell 2000 
many of them have debt levels they can't even sustain without further infusions of investor capital. Um, this is the public markets too. We're not even talking about the VC world and um, what those uh, companies' capital structures look like. Okay, well, I think we should end there today. <laughs>